Your story. It lives in River City. Where you can enjoy a metropolitan vibe and a small town feel. Where we set the standard for service and looking out for one another. Where there's so much more than steak in our thriving food scene. Your story is the story of Omaha. Told by those who live it and love it. Whether that's helping you keep up with the Cornhuskers or creating the content you crave. And here in the Omaha World Herald is where it comes to life. Omaha World Herald, where your story lives. College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at a $1,000 savings plan deposit for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register. Today, we're reacting to Denver's 10th loss of the season. We're talking about Paxton Lynch's opportunity. We're talking about Kirk Cousins' possible future in Denver. You are listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast presented by Mile High Huddle. It is time to drop some knowledge. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, Scout Media, CBS Sports Digital. With me, as always, Will Keys, editor and writer at Mile High Huddle. Will, did Sandy Claus bring you everything that you had hoped for? Well, I went downstairs and I was hoping to find a, a brand new franchise quarterback under the tree, but <laughs> alas, he was not there. So alas. wait until 2018 for that hey, one. Maybe it's a delayed gift, you know, like maybe it's going to happen. You're, the gift won't actually reveal itself until week 17 when Paxton Lynch starts. Yeah, week 17, free agency, the NFL draft. It's one of those things where you're, like your your mom or dad gives you like a uh, like a letter, like a symbol of something like that's a greater gift. It might be that. <laughs> well, we'll talk more about Lynch here in just a minute, but uh, we got a lot to get to today. This is a show dedicated to diving deep on your favorite team, the Denver Broncos. And of course, we need your help in the process because we can't grow without you. So take some time if you haven't done it. Go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, wherever you listen to the show. And make sure you leave a creative review and rate the show. Very important to us, growing and reaching new listeners. Also, follow the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. Make sure you're also following Mile High Huddle on Twitter and Facebook. A lot of different things we do there uh, via social media that you don't want to miss out on. And we're coming up on the season finale, and then we're going to go into what's going to be probably the most critical offseason for the Denver Broncos in the last decade. And we're going to be dropping knowledge several times a week. You're not going to want to miss a single episode, so make sure you're subscribing. And again, a lot to get to today, but before we do, we want to say thank you to our sponsor, Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddleup. There's over 180,000 different titles to choose from, whether you're using your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's www.audibletrial.com slash huddle up. And this is something for you regular listeners, longtime listeners, you know that we all use on the regular. Myself, I've already listened to it twice today, once in the car and once while I was doing some stuff in the kitchen, listening to a book. So, you know, it's, it's, you don't have to be a big reader to enjoy and, and get a lot out of Audible. It allows you to get some of these books in that you don't always have time to sit down and turn those pages while you're doing other things. Also a phenomenal way 
to support the show. By patronizing our sponsors, you support the show. And for those of you who have done that, we appreciate you. If you haven't tried it yet, go get yourself that free book and 30-day free trial, audibletrial.com slash huddle up. All right, so let's talk about week 16. Christmas Eve, the Broncos took to our nation's capital and got lambasted by Kirk Cousins and the Washington Redskins to the tune of 27 to 11. We'll start off here, Will. Let's talk about our good friend Brock Osweiler. The Brock Lobster, he went, let's see here, 22 of 38, 193 yards. He was sacked four times and picked off once while also losing a fumble. And it was interesting. I think the most memorable thing out of his performance didn't actually come on the gridiron. It was on the sideline at a bizarre scene. Yeah. Osweiler's marching up and down, screaming, I assume, at his teammates, but nobody, nobody is paying him any mind. How do you interpret that? I think people realize that it's game 16 and there's nothing on the line. And when there's nothing on the line, it's really hard to get worked up, um, even for professional athletes. So I don't know. I thought it was kind of funny in the moment. It obviously made the rounds on the internet. I don't think it says anything necessarily about Brock's leadership style. I think if this was a game where the Broncos were nine and five and not five and nine, um, I think his words might have carried a little more gravitas to the mm-hmm. to the guys on the sideline. But given that there's nothing to play for, it's just it's so hard to get worked up. And he's, I don't know. Brock's just kind of he's he's a he's a great cheerleader, but I don't know. He he's kind of falling on deaf ears right now. And he's become such an easy target. Like yeah. I mean, he he's mean, He's like the the meme creator. Like, he he can create. He is a meme, a meme machine. Yeah, a, a meme machine. Thank you. No time flat. You need a funny meme for your Facebook account, or you're trying to grow your Twitter following. Drop yourself a fresh Brock Osweiler meme. But no, I think you know part of the issue with this is you know you see him walking up and down the sideline screaming at his teammates who he's not really looking at them per se. Like he's not really addressing them with eye contact in the way you know human communication if someone's talking to you they're looking at you so that was a little different so it's kind of hard to really know the full context but to me kind of what I get out of it as well is this is an offense that really hasn't played as a unit as a complete unit all season long it's kind of felt like a group of an interchangeable 11 mercenaries that just go in, do their job to the best of their abilities, and go out. Like, there's no, like, cohesiveness. It doesn't feel like there's much, not just individual, but collective accountability. And some of that can be laid at the feet of the coaches. But it just feels like a an offense that is altogether disconnected from the events that are actually transpiring and the ramifications of what happens on the field. Osweiler walking up and down the sidelines screaming at people, no one gives a crap. And I think you're right. Some of that has to do with the stakes and where the team's at at this point. But I think it also speaks to a little bit bigger of a picture in terms of really what is lacking on this offense. And the Broncos going into 2018, that is something that they absolutely have to address. Yeah, I think kind of to your point, it's hard to create a a sort of culture of leadership when you don't know who your leader is necessarily every week. And the Broncos have been switching quarterbacks since – um, they inserted Brock Osweiler, you know, a, a few weeks ago for uh, I can't remember what game it was, but when he took over for Simeon, and it's just it's hard to I don't know because you say you look you're trying to look to one person to lead your offense, 
And when that guy changes every week, it's hard to build up some type of rapport or, you know, respect or mutual respect or what have you. But it's it's not good to be – I think that kind of just shows. It's not good to be switching quarterbacks all the time. And obviously that's Definitely. not the – not the plan, but that's just kind of how the season has gone, and and that's you know that's the result. I think that's going to be priority number one for this team heading into the off season is finding that next quarterback, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about that subject later on in this episode. But suffice to say, as we get into 2018 and get closer to the beginning of the new league year, we're going to have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. You know, we could go through looking at this game in Washington, some of the stats. Does it freaking matter? The Broncos lost their 10th game no. of the year. Uh, I mean, really, there's, there's the one thing I do want to point out is that the team rushed for 159 yards on the road, averaging 5.5 per clip, and yet they got blown out. I mean, you look at C.J. Anderson leading Strange. the team, 88 yards. He got his garbage-time touchdown on 16 carries. And this was coming off of an 158-yard output from the previous week, which is actually, if you combine the two weeks from week 15 to week 16, was C.J. Anderson's second best two-week rushing total in his career. So, you know, it's kind of bizarre. At the same time, you know, you had questionable uh, pass protection. The Redskins' defensive front was just having their way with the with the Broncos' offensive line. Yeah. And Brock Osweiler just was not handling the pressure well. But the flip side to that coin, and what's so frustrating is, again, we see the influence of Bill Musgrave and his you know penchant for running the ball and playing that power offense. You get the right guy calling signals. You take care of you, – you know, move some of the pieces around on the offensive line. Find another tackle. The Broncos could have something there, even with Bill Musgrave calling the plays in 2018. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And what – you know, obviously Ryan Kerrigan basically had his way with Garrett Bowles, and there's that one um, really notable play where there's a screenshot of Garrett Bowles basically like doing a headstand, right? Uh, like five yards away from the quarterback, and I don't know, like it's it's tough to be for me to pin everything on on one player, especially like a rookie like Garrett Bowles, and he's he's done so well this season. I think that it's really hard to complain against him, complain about him when he has a really tough game against a, a premier pass rusher in the NFC guys made something like three pro bowls but you know what one thing that i really didn't like from the offense is that brock osweiler was kind of needlessly conservative and mm. i think what we liked about him in that colts game was he really wasn't afraid to rip it and it's like he kind he, he came in with no expectations off the bench like mm. like when trevor simeon played so well against the raiders it's right. almost as if you know he, he didn't have any expectations brock osweiler does the same against the colts rips the ball down the field to guys like Cody Latimer, Jeff Hireman. And another thing uh, that I didn't mention earlier, but we should note that, you know, he was playing without Cody Latimer and Emmanuel Sanders, so that didn't make things easy. Yeah. But one of the things that really set this offensive offense back is that they're throwing the ball to the running back just about every play. And these weren't necessarily like designed pass plays to the running backs or, or well-designed screen passes, but they're kind of just checkdowns that didn't go anywhere. Right. I think something like over 50% of the passes went to – went to running backs and he just wasn't looking downfield wasn't willing to go downfield or what it whatever it was it, it just wasn't working and Washington's linebackers were all over it and I, I don't know if that was their game plan or what but it just didn't it didn't work well a lot to unpack from what you just said there and starting with Garrett Bowles it's interesting because right now he is persona non grata in Denver media if you turn on and listen to 104.3 the fan any of those fine analysts there 
I mean, they talk about Garrett Bowles like he's he's trash, which I completely not. disagree with. He's not. Yeah. He, he still has discipline issues. He's still working out some of the kinks. But I think from an organizational point of view, the Broncos are happy with him. And they're Absolutely. happy with the fact that they invested a first-round pick in a, in a kid who is considered to be old-ish. Uh, even for an offensive lineman. So Garrett Bowles, like I'm not one of those guys that's buying into the hate. I know obviously he still has quite a bit to work on in his young career, but he'll get there. He'll get there. Secondly, you're right. I mean, the Broncos were missing two key receivers, and that Washington secondary, man, they just were not allowing Demarius Thomas, Benny Fowler, and that combination of wideouts to create any separation, which was allowing three- and four-man rushes to get home. So you had that killer balance, I guess, of a, a secondary doing its job to a T and a front seven or a front four, I should say, really getting after it. So, and then you're right. I mean, I, I think it was 50%. Oh, I read that stat. I might be wrong on that. We'll have to check after the show. But it was anyway, over, I think. Yeah, on dump off passes to running backs. I mean, Andy Janovich, for crying out loud, it was only two receptions, but he tied a freaking career high with 21 yards on two catches. So, a lot to uh, – you're right, Brock Osweiler just being conservative. I think the pressure got to him early, and you could really see how that translated to his play. Right. Now, you look at the flip side to that coin, a guy in Kirk Cousins who goes, let's see, 19-37, 299 yards, three touchdowns, and then that uh, interception in the red zone. So the Broncos held him to less than 300 yards, which just for what it's worth – the Broncos remain the only team in the NFL to not allow us a 300-yard passer this season by the virtue of one single yard. But let's let, we're going to talk about this a little bit later in the show, but let's let's talk about Kirk Cousins cuz sure. He had himself a day and it was a kind of audition for the Broncos put on a show and for all the Broncos fans pining for Cousins in 2018. My thing is you should pump the brakes a little bit. And it's not that I'm saying that pump the brakes cuz Cousins is no good, but rather Last week, Adam Schefter of ESPN, NFL Insider, he poured some cold water on the notion of Cousins hitting the open market. He was on 104.3 The Fan's uh, morning show last week. I forget which day. But he said that he doesn't think, from what he's hearing, that Redskins GM Bruce Allen is going to let Cousins go just for nothing, unrestricted. Basically that Washington is either going to franchise tag him or transition tag him and force teams to negotiate and give something up in order to acquire Kirk Cousins. So what that means, if you're the Broncos, not only will you have to find the cap space to pay Kirk Cousins, in all likelihood, you'll also have to give up a couple of first-round picks or a first-rounder and a second-rounder for the privilege. For me, that makes Kirk Cousins too rich for my blood, considering the state of the Broncos roster. How about you, though? I agree. So I don't know. It just never seemed like the Redskins – would want to just let Kirk Cousins hit the open market because obviously, you know, that does no no good for them. And the only leverage really that, that franchises, NFL franchises have in these situations are the tags. And they franchise tagged him, I think, twice right now. Correct. So they could place the transitional tag on him, which would mean that the Broncos or any other team would have to give up a couple picks and then pay him whatever his market value would be, which would be Probably at this point, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo might skew this a little bit and he might wait until Cousins gets paid, but it's probably going to be higher than the Derek Carr contract. I would guess probably mid, about the, the floor's got to be 27 million. 
Yeah, I was thinking somewhere from 28 to 30. And just think about like the transitional tag will kind of, I think, drop it down a little bit. But I was talking about this with my family the other day. It's like, what if Kirk Cousins, who is a top 10 quarterback, I think we can all agree on that, where he places in the top 10 is kind of up for debate. But we'll say for you know the sake of argument, he's a top 10 guy. When was the last time a top 10 quarterback, and we'll throw Peyton Manning out because he's a special case, hit the open market? Right. Well, to that point, really quick, this brings up something we touched on a few episodes back, and I wrote about at milehighhuddle.com, which is, is there such thing as a free agent franchise quarterback? Right. right. Do, do free agents, or I should say, do franchise quarterbacks, that caliber of player, truly ever hit the open market? And Kirk Cousins... I'm not saying he isn't, but he might actually be the first franchise-caliber quarterback. Yeah, I agree. That, that doesn't come with any caveats, doesn't come with a you know four neck surgeries or anything like that to hit the open market. Because look at Drew Brees, for example. He became a franchise guy after yeah. the fact, right? So like you almost have to throw that out the window because what I'm saying is franchise quarterbacks who are established franchise guys like Cousins has done for himself in Washington hitting that open market. Right, right. And obviously the breezier, there was a little bit of competition with guys like Dante Culpepper, and obviously Miami swung and missed with that one. But <laughs> this year you assumed that there was going to be a little competition for Cousins too that would take a little bit of heat off of the um, off of the NFL teams that would actually have to you know offer up some bids for him. But Jimmy Garoppolo uh, looks like he's you know going to stay in San Francisco long term, uh, assuming that they pony up and pay him what should be close to Kirk Cousins' money. And they money. will. They have a ton of cap space. Yeah, yeah. The, that's the advantage of not really having any other good players. But mm-hmm. <laughs> Kirk Cousins, he's the best quarterback to ever hit the, the free agent market unfettered, assuming that he does, because right. we might be underselling his value because we've never seen it happen. And when you, get, when you get a bunch of teams pining for that franchise quarterback and you see him without any – like. There's no restrictions based on draft order or anything like that. It's just it's just money. It's just a bidding war. Right. And I I don't think that's ever happened. It's the most important position in football with a top ten guy at that position. And there's so few of those guys to be had that hitting it you know unrestricted is just it's completely it's like nothing we've ever seen. Well, but now we're being faced with the increasing reality that it's not right. going to be unrestricted. There will be strings attached for teams who want to you know dive head first into the Kirk Cousins but the but the thing the thing is is I don't think Kirk Cousins from everything that I've heard I don't think he wants to stay in Washington and his leverage could be that he just doesn't play and well he he just holds out that could very well be and the fact is teams can franchise tag a player and then rescind it we saw Carolina do it with Josh Norman following Super Bowl 50 so they could play that game in the similar kind of way that Dallas and Tony Romo had a little bit of a standoff right before he just said, you know what, screw it, I'm going to retire and go call games with Jim Nance, where they were kind of trying to strong arm the situation. In this case, just to kind of play out the scenario, Bruce Allen and the Redskins could, let's just say the franchise tag, Kirk Cousins, once again, third year in a row, which would mean it would come with a $35 million price tag. And Washington, I don't think Washington would want to pay that either because that's that's an absurd amount of money to play any one player, even though he's he's a great quarterback. Well, maybe they will, maybe they won't. I'm inclined to agree with you that they probably don't have the means, at least with the way their cap is currently constructed, to 
they'd have to make some changes. But let's just, for the sake of argument, they control him through free agency. Now he's basically under their control. Teams can negotiate with them for his rights via trade. And let's say no one's willing to pony up the picks or whatever Washington's asking for. And the money gets spent. That money dries up in free agency quickly. It goes elsewhere. Then yeah. Kirk Cousins, you know, let's say the Redskins go, well, you know what? We tried. Didn't work out. All right, we're going to go ahead and just rescind this tag. You're on your own. Now the money's dried up. How? And so that these are the scenarios that could take place with Kirk Cousins. But again, for me, thinking about it through the lens of the Denver Broncos, let's just say he does not hit the open market, but the Redskins are very aggressively putting him on the trading block. What would you, let's put it this way, Will, what would uh-huh. you realistically, if you were John Elway, be willing to give up in order to get the privilege of offering Kirk Cousins a five-year deal? So I think you have to have a little bit of context. So this is going off of memory, but how much did the 49ers give up for Garoppolo? Was it two second rounders? Actually, it was uh, a single second rounder. Right. So the th- and ironically, the better Garoppolo plays, the lower that that or the higher, uh, lower, and I always get confused with that, lower that second round pick would be uh, for the Patriots once they get it. But I think the consensus now, now that they've seen Garoppolo play and they see that the impact that a, a good quarterback can have on a team, which San Francisco obviously hasn't had in a while, is a, a second round a second rounder was you know highway robbery for the 49ers to to only give that up for the Patriots right right so I think that'll be in the back of everyone's mind if the the Kirk Cousins saga comes down to a trade so I would think it it'd have to be obviously a, a first rounder involved you could maybe talk about um, it, a player might make sense just in terms of uh, you know freeing up cap space. So if you want to involve a player, I don't know who that would be. It obviously depends on the team. They have to have value. I I mean, like C.J. Anderson still has some value. Uh, You could even look at moving a guy like Akeem Tlaib or Bradley Roby or Shane Ray. Tlaib, Shane Ray, uh, Emmanuel Sanders maybe. Mm. Uh, These are all possibilities. So you might have to get creative. But I would think you'd have to give up a first-round pick. And obviously the Broncos have um, the seventh pick i think right now in the first round well after uh after the week's games went by they're now currently sitting at six. Oh, six. okay so it gets mm. better and better indeed so it gets more valuable so a six round pick obviously as opposed to say it was like a team like the jaguars who you assume we're going to be picking in the 25 to 30 i don't want to say 32 yet range but <laughs> <laughs> right assuming that they're going to get rid of their quarterback their first round pick is a lot less valuable. The Broncos' first round pick holds a lot more water, obviously, because it's six right now. Mm. So let's say you gave up. Let, let's let's do a little ESPN trade machine between you and me. I'm the Broncos. You're you're the Redskins. You're Dan yeah. Snyder. All right. Um, yeah. So I'm gonna offer you the sixth overall pick, the third round pick, which is not a math guy, but I'm gonna say that's 70th overall. That's completely false, actually, now that I do the math. No, it is 70th. Yeah, 32 plus 32. There we go, 70. Okay. And I'm going to give you Emmanuel Sanders. You have to take on his contract. What do you say for Kirk Cousins? Well, depends on what other people are offering me. If that's the best offer I could get, so it's I'm the taking best it. Offer. If that's the best offer, I mean, I'm taking it. I think at the very least, the Broncos will have to be willing to give up their first round top 10 pick 
along yep. with a mid early well let's say a, a a second or third round pick like next year so if you're the redskins denver's a prime target for that trade because now you're looking for a quarterback and your best odds of getting that quarterback is going to be in the top 10 now six you know if the Bron- let's say the broncos finish it's a little six, trickier at sixth it, it's still a little tricky but suddenly you're within striking distance just as the broncos would be if they hold on to that pick to wheel and deal and move up because now you have two first round picks right to yep. move up and get a guy like josh rosen or you know whom whichever quarterback you've got your heart set on realistically i mean we don't know what's going to happen at the combine we don't know what I mean, things get pretty crazy the closer it gets to the draft, but a guy like Baker Mayfield coming off such one of the most phenomenal quarterback seasons in the history of NCAA football and a Heisman Trophy winner, I mean, who knows? He might end up being right there as one, two, three. You know, if I, I don't think uh, the USC kid has actually said he's not declaring yet, has he? No, not, not as of this podcast. Right, so then you got Josh Rosen, too. And those are the top three in my mind. Uh, Sam Darnold. Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield. Now, my sentimental agree. my sentimental favorite of those three is Mayfield. But if you're at six, you have a shot at probably one of those guys. So if you're the Redskins, that's a feasible, most likely Mayfield. Yeah, probably Mayfield, probably. But now you got two first round picks and additional ammunition with which to deal if you wanted to move up. So I don't know if that's the best case scenario. And I just tagged Kirk Cousins, and that's my best offer. I'm taking it. So the Broncos unleashed their their what would be their highest first round pick since 2011, but still also probably their their highest first round pick in the last 25 years aside from 2011. Mm-hmm. Plus they're dealing getting rid of Emmanuel Sanders' contract, which is great. Getting rid of that cancerous uh, kind of attitude he has. A, I shouldn't say cancerous, but it's an attitude and a type of body language that can become. It doesn't it doesn't jive with a losing season. We'll right. say that. And you're getting rid of a third-round pick, which the caliber could turn into a Justin Simmons type of player, or the flip side could be Brandon Langley and be absolutely nothing, or Jeff Hireman or Michael Schofield, all of which were third-round picks. So, I don't know. It's it, It'll be really interesting. Well, we should probably move on, but it'll be really interesting to see how it shakes out the closer we get and exactly what Washington does. I mean, they have the right, after developing this guy for the last seven seasons, or six seasons, excuse me, um, to try and get something out of him before he, he departs their fair city. They sure do. So let's, uh, for now though, those are future issues. And again, we'll, we'll dissect more of that in a lot more depth the closer we get to that time of year and the more information that becomes available. But for now, let's, let's go back and focus on the quarterback that has been pegged to start this week for the Denver Broncos, Paxton Lynch. After serving as Osweiler's backup last week, course it comes as no surprise to hear head coach Vance Joseph announce that the former first rounder is going to start in the season finale against the Chiefs and you know what there's a good chance that it's going to be head-to-head with Kansas City's rookie number one pick Patrick Mahomes so it'll be interesting to see if if that's indeed the direction Andy Reid decides to go now we'll, we'll break this down but first I want you to hear Everyone listening, this exchange that took place on Tuesday at Dove Valley. Now, mostly, just so you know who you're hearing, you're mostly it's DMAC, uh, Darren McKee of 104.3 The Fan, uh, you know, the biggest show in Denver, which is The Drive. I think it's from 3 to 6 on weekdays. Most of you, I'm sure, know exactly who I'm talking about. But for those who don't, he's the guy asking some of the little bit more 
confrontational style questions and you're going to hear in this exchange directed at Vance Joseph. So listen to this line of questioning and how Joseph answered them. Here we go. What's your uh, quarterback situation for this game? The plan is to uh, play Paxton. You know, um, that was kind of the plan last week if he was healthy enough to play. So this week, that's the plan to play Paxton. No, the plan is to start Paxton. Absolutely, this week. About Paxton? Yeah. No, not really. I mean, he wasn't quite ready last week, so hopefully he's ready to go this week. So that's the plan to start Paxton this week. Why, why is the plan to start Paxton? Well, we want to see him play. Obviously, that's, that's been a goal the last couple of weeks, and we haven't, you know, that hadn't happened. You know, so we want to see him play life bullets in a football game. Is that more important than winning the game? Is that more important? I would say not. But, um, you know, our, our first goal is to win a football game, obviously. But, um, again, with, with it being a quarterback issue going into the offseason, we, we want to see him play to see what his player is. You know, and obviously winning the game is always our first priority. So, you know, not saying if he's playing we can't win. You know, so, I mean, he's, he's going to be our quarterback. We expect to win. Would you say he needs to show confidence in the end guard? Because you, he was deemed healthy. Right. Secondly, is it perhaps a little misleading if the Chiefs play all their twos, or does that matter? No, no, we don't care about the Chiefs as far as who they play. It, it's, it's, it's more about our football team winning the football game on Sunday and having a chance to see our young quarterback play. It's brutal. It's scathing. I, I could imagine just being a fly on the wall, being in that room, how uncomfortable some of those other journalists were because DMAC is a guy known for asking the tough questions. I mean, his, his most famous question, of course, coming to Roger Goodell a few years ago, and that's topic for another time. But for those in the Denver market who don't like... Last spring, you chose hardworking seed, but did it work as hard as you did? At NK Seeds, we know that all the time, all the effort comes down to this. All that matters now is yield and how the seed perform on your acre. Because you can't fake performance. And bushels don't lie. Local results coming soon. Visit nkseeds.com slash harvest. Mike DMAC, let me just say that I respect the hell out of this guy. He just, he knows his stuff. Uh, he's not afraid to ask the tough questions. And uh, I enjoy his analysis. I think he's got a lot to offer. But Will, let me ask you, you heard that. Do you think the decision to start Paxton Lynch this week comes from Vance Joseph and the coaching staff, or do you think it comes from on high from John Elway? Well, given that Vance Joseph doesn't have a lot of job security right now, and that's probably something we'll talk about later, I think it probably comes from on high just because it, it seems like more of a long-term franchise move than you know something to save your job at this point in Week 17, which I don't know is even possible now, but... It makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And obviously you would have liked to see, you know, three games out of Paxton Lynch to end the season. We were originally planning on six from that right. Raiders game on, but you know, yep. the injury kind of messed things up. Well, and the funny thing about that injury, <clears throat> just real quick, is I've been told that he was actually, even that day in Oakland when he, you know, pulled up lame, went on the sideline, the trainers were actually telling him, go back into the game. Really? And he refused. He didn't want to go back in. And then you saw him on the sideline crying and, you know, all the tears and everything. And in goes Simeon, who lights it up. The Broncos still fall short. But 
think about that. That's your first round pick, the guy that's supposed to go out there and be alpha dog. And he's not only unwilling to go back out there, but then he's crying on the sideline. That's what the Broncos have right now. It was a bit of a strange look. Um, it looked like Tim Tebow at the end of his collegiate career. Uh, I think losing in the SEC championship game, crying on the sideline, has kind of shades of that. But it wasn't a good look. It kind of told you, I don't want to say all you need to know about Paxton Lynch, that game, where you, you have like flashes of a couple really nice passes mm-hmm. um, and then disaster and then, <laughs> and then an injury disaster. and then sitting on the sideline is kind of a microcosm of the Paxton Lynch experience in Denver for the last two years. But you do want to give him another chance and you want to give him – I know – You'd, you'd like to evaluate your quarterbacks more than a couple of starts and a couple of incomplete starts at that in one year to kind of get a read of where you're at. And obviously the whole situation's kind of backed up because you'd like to see you'd, – you'd think that your quarterback, your first-round quarterback would have earned a starting job right. in year two. So that's obviously the biggest strike against him by now. But here's my thing on that note. Sure. With, with the – issue the Broncos are facing going into 2018 the quarterback issue and obviously this is going to be something they're going to work uh, all hours of the night to fix the quarterback position let's say Paxton Lynch goes out there in week 17 and goes over 300 yards and four touchdowns is that really going to change after everything we know about Paxton Lynch up to this point is that really going to change Denver's approach in the offseason to finding an an answer at the position is that really Mm -hmm. going to be the answer let's just say in the best case scenario he goes out there and lights it up right i think it does it change their situation i think it could keep him on the roster i don't know if it makes him the starting quarterback heading into 2018 but i think it it keeps him around i don't know if there's anything that could that could make him the unquestioned starter going into 2018 but it could give him a chance to you know be in a quarterback battle again and obviously his chances of winning that are kind of dependent on who's on the other side of that uh, be it a draft pick or an established guy or you know whomever yeah. and i i say that i i ask that question more as in a rhetorical sense to play devil's advocate because right. i do think the broncos need to play him they they i mean going into this this offseason they need every last ounce of information on the guy they invested a first round pick in two years ago that they can get so it's the correct decision brock osweiler is what is it oh and four now in games that he has started he doesn't get credit for that win in indy of course because right. trevor simeon started so uh, brock osweiler we'll see what the future holds for him but paxton lynch you're up let's see what you can do in a home game this time you're going to be playing at home and you're going to be playing against a better than average team and the your division champion Kansas City Chiefs. Now, to piggyback off of the Lynch news, we have a new report that kind of put Vance Joseph's failures as a first-year head coach into a more, I think, glaring perspective. Mike Florio of Pro Mm -hmm. Football Talk postulates that Joseph is still very much on the hot seat. He points out, Florio, that by future of a garbage-time touchdown, the Broncos narrowly avoided their fifth, yes, fifth, blowout loss of 20 points or more in Washington. In fact, just to put this in perspective for you listeners, the lowly Cleveland Browns who sit at 0-15, guess what? They've only lost one game by 20 points or more. Denver has four such losses. And the big issue that Florio points to, which we know was sticking in John Elway's craw during the eight-game losing streak, 
is not being competitive, not fielding a competitive team. See, it's one thing to lose, but it is quite another to get blown out disproportionately throughout the season. And that happened again in D.C. at the hands of Kirk Cousins. So let me put it to you this way, Will. I know we had the Ian Rappaport report following the win over the Jets that the Broncos are really hoping this works out with Vance Joseph losing in ugly fashion to the Redskins, which gave Denver double-digit losses for the season. Does that change anything in your mind? And then to compound that with Paxton Lynch starting, the odds tell us Denver's probably going to lose the finale, which put them at a 5-11 and finish. Do John Elway and Joe Ellis retain Vance Joseph? I don't think it has to do so much with losing uh, as the fashion that these losses are coming in, and they're coming in spectacular fashion for the most part. The Broncos haven't really lost too many close games, but their their failures have been pretty spectacular when they do happen, and obviously over that eight-game losing streak. But it's it's hard to keep a guy who who finishes out his first season with a couple of blowouts. It, it, it's just we talked about how big of a feather in Vance Joseph's cap it would be to finish out the last four games with four victories. Mm-hmm. And now it'd be different if Denver, you know, lost the Washington game by say a possession or a last minute field goal or something like that. John Elway I think can live with that. Right. Is that something to build off of? He's a competitive guy, obviously. He just wants to be competitive, I think, more than... Obviously, he wants to win, but I think number one for him is being competitive and to see a team that's just not competitive, not responding to Brock Osweiler on the sidelines, stuff like that, (laughs) reflects really poorly on Vance Joseph, and I don't think that's something that uh, John Elway wants to put his stamp on, necessarily. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I think as a team... You know, if this was something like maybe like a reverse Raiders situation in 2016 where they're winning a bunch of games by really small margins, if the Broncos had lost a bunch of games by small margins, right? I think even if they their record is 5-11, and 11, Vance Joseph keeps his job because with those types of losses, uh, there's a st- statistical, I guess whatever the opposite of a regression would be, maybe an uh, aggression to the mean. Progression <laughs> there. there, that's the word. Aggression there to the uh, Getting all money ball, but... Uh, there's, you know, the odds say that those types of games are going to even out for you. The odds don't say that blowouts are going to even out for you. It's not like the Broncos, you know, if they lose by a, a four games by 20 points, doesn't mean they're going to win four games by 20 points in, in 2018. That's not how it works. Right. So I think it's it's the margin of victory and it's the the morale and everything that losing big does to you. And it's just such a you know it's puts a damper on the whole franchise and it's hard to keep it's hard to keep the architect of that type of losing season around for another year. As you say, I mean the the teams for you know, Vance Joseph keeps standing at the podium and talking about all this great leadership that the Broncos have. But obviously it's not Working, It's not having the type of lifting effect and galvanizing effect that it needs to have in football. And that goes back to Vance Joseph, too, as you say, how it reflects on him. You know, you got players who are leaders, but what the coaches are saying are obviously not hitting home with these players, whether it's technique, whether it's mindset, whether it's playbook, whatever. I mean, look at what happened with Isaiah McKenzie, a guy that Vance Joseph has given chance after chance after chance after. I mean, obviously those two have some kind of a connection. Like, I think behind closed doors, those guys have had meetings together and, you know, he's probably taken him under his wing as kind of a little brother project guy. They have some kind of a bond that keeps 
compelling Joseph to give him chance after chance. But again, Joseph himself said that McKenzie was reminded before that play that the ball's going outside for a specific reason so you can get out of bounds. And he cuts back inside and kills Denver's opportunity to put some points on the board before halftime and get a little bit of momentum. Now, we know in the grand scheme of the game, the way it played out, those three points wouldn't have mattered. But had they gotten those three points at the end of the second half, gotten a little bit of momentum, stuck their foot in the ground a little bit, who knows how that second half could have played out. But again, you know, this is going off a little bit. It comes back to Vance Joseph that his message is falling on deaf ears. And then you compound that and compare that with the way the Broncos have lost so many games this year, the eight-game losing streak. I mean, there's just so much negative history now built into what this season has been for the Broncos. Like, on one hand, I understand you don't want to fire a first-year head coach, but he's really, with the exception of winning two games late in the year against two subpar teams, he has shown, Vance Joseph, very little in the way of any encouragement to this front office and to the president of the team that he can turn the ship around. Right. You talk about cutting your losses with a guy like Paxton Lynch. I'd say that probably also applies to head coaches. You don't want to set your, you don't want to set your organization back a year just to hold on to a guy who you know, isn't going to be good just to say, well, at least we didn't fire him after year one. Right. Because if you know, he's bad. And mm-hmm. I think John Elway would have a more complete perspective on that than, than us, you know, looking in from the outside would have. Sure. sure. But, you know, if you're, you know, if your gut tells you this guy, I made a mistake and I should just, you know, drop it rather than keep up the, the facade another year mm-hmm. and incur another losing season just in the in the in the interest of, of team pride. Let him go. You yeah. know, you're right. not going to do him any favors by keeping him around for another year. I think a lot of what will inform part of the equation that will inform Denver's decision with Vance Joseph is candidates you know, viable candidates that they could replace him with. So it all depends on how they view some of the guys out there that are considered to be head coaching candidates. And we should also point out that the NFL is poised to have a record number of head coaching vacancies in 2018. That as a possibility. Now, you know, that's not a for sure thing yet, but I've heard it postulated. I read a piece on it. Can't remember who who it was. I read that from, but uh, long story short, there's going to be a lot of jobs to go around, a lot of coaches filling these jobs from both the professional and the college ranks. So the Broncos, you know, they're going to be in, if they do fire Joseph, they got to have a viable candidate that they not only want and feel like can be the guy, but they got to have in their minds a realistic chance of recruiting him and hiring him for the job. That guy's got to want to come to Denver. And we've talked about also the negative aspects of firing a guy like Vance Joseph. Yep. who would be your third coach in, you know, however many years, four, five, six years, uh, six years, I guess it would be being a coach killer, being a, a, a as a head coach or a coach prospectively in in all likelihood, being a, a guy going into his first opportunity to be a head coach, you want to go to Denver where those expectations and now this litany of coaches who haven't worked out. and So there are a lot of moving pieces and parts to this equation and how it applies to Vance Joseph. But I think suffice to say, the one thing I will concur with Mike Florio is if the Broncos go into Week 17 in their home finale on a doomed season and crap the bed and get blown out, I don't think the Broncos are bringing Vance Joseph back. 
I agree with you there. It's just if it's a close loss or, you know, obviously a victory, which I think is possible given that Kansas City doesn't have anything to play for and it's a, you know, season finale at home. I don't want to say that they can't win, but I think another 20 point loss or, you know, a garbage time touchdown that makes it look a little closer in the box score. I think that's the nail in Vance Joseph's coffin. Amen. Well, we'll see how it shakes out. Let's uh, let's move on and talk about another little piece of news that broke on Tuesday. Uh, as the Broncos reconvened at Dove Valley, Nikki Jabala of the Denver Post managed to corner Jamal Charles and got some very interesting remarks from him. Now, let's put it in context. Charles was a healthy scratch in Washington as the rookie, D'Angelo Henderson, was able to finally dress. So with one game to go, Charles now has appeared in 14 games for the Broncos with zero starts. He's got a total of 425 yards from scrimmage on the season uh, and a single touchdown with no real hope of improving those stats in the final game of the year. Now, the Broncos, of course, they're still hell-bent, as we see from the Paxton Lynch start, on playing the young'uns, right? They want to see some of these younger guys, and you saw it even in Washington, guys like DeMonte Thomas playing and uh, Marcus Rios, the undrafted rookie corner as well. I mean, the Broncos are utilizing some of these younger guys to see what they've got in them, even the guys they didn't draft but have acquired. So Charles, they're not using him, and the season's almost over, while the flip side is a playoff team out there could put a guy like Jamal Charles to some great use, but the Broncos would have to release him, of course. Here's what Charles said to the Denver Post about the prospect of Denver releasing him. I'll read the quote. Quote, I ain't playing. Might as well. No reason for me to just sit around and look at people play. It is what it is. I'm still going to be supportive of everyone on the team no matter what. I mean, they got my rights right now. Closed quote. And then one more. Quote, I thought we were all going to get a chance to share the ball, Charles said. I never got a chance to be in the first 15 plays, and it sucks. How the other running backs, like, I look around and see the Patriots share the running backs in New Orleans. You know what I'm saying? I just never got an opportunity. Closed quote. Touche. I mean, it sounds like Charles was promised some things before the season started in terms of the democratization. I don't know if I said that right. Of, uh, you know, the touches and how Close the touches enough. were going to be distributed amongst him, uh, C.J. Anderson and Devontae Booker that have not come to fruition. He is not a happy camper. Now, we understand why that would be. I mean, this is one of the all-time great running backs. This is a fiery competitor and I think it's fair to say he's shown in the, his very few opportunities this year that he still has some juice left in that tank. But should the Broncos release him? I mean, in a perfect world, I would say just do it. Go ahead. But the Broncos can't do it. It would set an embarrassing precedent being a team who has no postseason future that just cuts a tenured veteran just so they can hopefully catch on elsewhere. I mean, that's just an embarrassing notion, and there's no way in hell John Elway will do that. And I think for his remarks, Jamal Charles might end up not dressing in the season finale as well. You know, I don't I don't necessarily agree. I mean, I don't think that – I agree in that. I don't think it will happen. But I don't know that it's a super embarrassing thing. You know, like just today, uh, the Steelers cut James Harrison, and he signed with a team that's like fairly likely to meet the Steelers in the playoffs and the New England Patriots. Both have postseason destinies, though. Right, 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 right. But – the Broncos, I don't. I think it would be a favor, I guess, to Jamal Charles um, right. in the grand scheme of things. And I would like to see Jamal Charles catch on with the playoff team, um, if at all possible. I think he'd make a lot of sense on a team like Seattle 
or, or possibly Minnesota. I'm, I'm just putting them on yeah. all these NFC teams just because I don't want to <laughs> see them on like the Patriots or Chiefs. You know, well, he yeah, wouldn't go back to Chiefs, but yeah, I think that that bridge has been thoroughly torched at this point. Definitely. Um, but you know, I, I I like the guy and I understand his frustration completely, and I think the Broncos. I think for a long time I've kind of put a, tried to fit a square peg in a round hole um, as far as the running back situation goes because I think in this age in the NFL you really have to cycle backs and the Broncos keep trying to insist that C.J. Anderson is a feature back and to some extent he can be um, but it's not in the best interest of your team to do that and it's it's better like the Patriots have shown and teams like the Saints to use a more recent example. Um, to have a diverse group of running backs that all do different things um, that you bring in from play to play to play. You don't give them a drive, you give them a play and you you know, you know, work them to their strengths. And I don't think the Broncos have done a very good job of playing to their running back strengths. And they've just mismanaged the whole situation. They had D'Angelo Henderson active for the first time yesterday and he doesn't touch the ball to the fourth quarter and he, he, or the third quarter, I think. One he catches a pass. Right? Yeah, he catches a four-yard pass and goes out of bounds. Um, one of the I think 2,000 backs to catch a pass from Brock <laughs> Osweiler yesterday, <laughs> but I don't understand. You're you're deactivating Jamal Charles so you can activate a rookie running back that mm-hmm. everyone was excited about from the preseason on, just to give him you know one snap on offense. It it really doesn't make a right. lot of sense. Well, and, so I, and yeah, I understand his frustration completely. To your point, I mean, if you're going to do it, you do it because you're doing a future Hall of Fame caliber player, a solid, right? You're you're saying, look, we right. uh, you know, we didn't work out here, but we're going to cut you loose, and you've never won a Super Bowl, and maybe you can catch on somewhere and go out on top type thing. But, again, the issue for me, if just looking at it objectively, is is John Elway that type of guy? And yeah. I, I just don't I don't I don't think he is. And there more, there are no true favors in the NFL, I don't think. Right. And more to your point too about the playing time and the way guys have gone up and down on the roster, who dresses, who doesn't. Again, it doesn't make sense and it goes back to coaching and those type of decisions personnel wise that lead into who are gonna be the scratches on game day, right? Because you got fifty three guys only 46 can suit up, which is a stupid rule, by the way. But yeah. only 46 can suit up. D'Angelo Henderson proved in the in the preseason to be an absolutely electric player. Now, there's no guarantee that would translate to the regular season where the, the war of attrition increases and goes up a few notches, and now you're playing against only first-string competition. But still, he was a clear difference maker in the preseason, and yet with all of Denver's offensive struggles – it never occurred to that coaching staff to say, you know what, let's dress him in week seven or right. week eight and see what he can do. So these are the type of of issues that have plagued Vance Joseph and this staff, and he's going to have to answer to them at the end of the season, and the closer we get to the end, the more and more likely it seems that he's probably not going to be around. I agree. Yeah, it- it just it's not a good look to have these kind of kind of things come out in the media at the end of the season i don't think it it doesn't necessarily mean that he's lost the locker room and i don't even know what losing the locker room really means at this point of the season just because everyone who's losing is accused of losing the locker room as well but i i don't know it doesn't reflect well on him as a, a head coach and it it probably you know doesn't bode well for him uh, in this city i think what it really means is your players have stopped fighting for you. Your players have tuned you out, and they're no longer yeah. really fighting for you. Now, I don't think there's any way 
to say if, if that's happened for the Broncos. Like, there's no way for us to know yet unless players were actually speaking in that way, specifically about Joseph as a leader in the media and leaking things in that sense. But we're running out of time, so let's let's real quick jump to the Mile High Mailbag. We are your Broncos priests. We're here to offer absolution and some answers to your burning Broncos questions. And the first one comes to speak specifically to what we just piggybacked from. Zeb to, uh, excuse me, at Zeb211, his question will, what's the honest actual feeling from inside the locker room? Players given up on Joseph? Vance was honest about the QBs for once, saying we have no leadership all year. Any other truths out there? Uh, well, first of all, Neither Will or myself are in the locker room. Okay, we, we that cover, you know of. We, we <laughs> yeah right. We cover the we cover the team remotely, so we can't tell you from a firsthand experience exactly what the vibe is in that locker room. But my instinct and things I've heard and been told, I don't think going back to what we were just talking about, I don't think this is necessarily a locker room who has given up on Vance Joseph. I do think these players, and we've heard them talk about it in the media, they do like Vance Joseph. Now, whether that translates to the type of, you know, passion to play for your coach and give it all on game day and execute and take the coaching and take the the instruction and everything that comes from, you know, coaches who are respected, who actually produce in this league and how that trickles down to their players. I don't know if that the same can be said for Vance Joseph, but I do know at least this team likes his players speak positively about him in the media. Now, about the quarterbacks for once saying that we have no leadership all year. What he's referring to here, Zeb, is that Vance Joseph on Tuesday, basically when he, he was actually asked about Brock Osweiler running up and down the sideline, yelling and screaming and no one seemingly paying attention to him, he took that opportunity to basically say that Brock Osweiler has brought a type of leadership to this team that frankly has been absent all year which many perceive to be a kind of underhanded shot at Trevor Simeon. And it very well may have, but I think if it was, it was, you know, subconscious. He, I don't think he was meaningfully trying to take a shot at Trevor Simeon. But, right. Will, that's, that's the question is, you know, we've already addressed the locker room thing. Do you believe what, what Zeb is saying here, that the Broncos from the quarterback position under Trevor Simeon, do you think they were lacking that type of leadership, that kind of fire from, like we saw, in a sense, from Brock Osweiler, uh, over his four and a half games he's he's appeared in you know uh, there's not one way to be a leader and I think they can both be leaders in their own ways and I think they're both perfectly viable ways there's there's guys who are, are more rah-rah leaders and that's obviously Brock Osweiler and some can perceive that as phony or, or false especially when you're losing that uh, it, it hard it's hard to you know carry the same weight that it would when you're winning you don't get that fire obviously in a five and nine season and there's guys like trevor simeon who um ideally are trying to lead by example they're not you know big talkers and obviously trevor simeon's not that guy and he never has been and that's perfectly fine you don't have to be like that uh he's more of the in terms of like leadership style obviously not comparing them as quarterbacks but his leadership style is closer to someone like joe montana than a quarterback like Cam Newton who gets his guys fired up. <laughs> There's guys Tim right Tebow. now like being in their heads against the wall, Simeon getting compared to Joe Montana, but go on, go on. <laughs> yeah, I'm just talking about in leadership, folks. So, or at least in, in terms of like uh, style or approach, I guess, would be the best word for it. Right. And More of it, a silent leader. That's where Will and I, you know, Trevor Simeon is one of one of our points of demarcation, as it, as it were. Trevor Simeon, to me... Now, to, going back to Zeb's question, I do think, 
And it's not that Simeon does not offer leadership. He does. I agree with you in that his brand of leadership is a different style uh, than what you see from an animated type of guy like Brock Osweiler. My issue is it's not that he doesn't have leadership. It's that his type of leadership is not the type that you need from the quarterback position. So that's been my biggest problem with Trevor Simeon is just the way he leads doesn't seem to be the type, uh, the way that galvanizes his guys in, in the same type of sense that you see fiery, you know, more fiery guys like your Kirk Cousins. You like that? You know, right, getting, right. His, getting his troops riled up. That's all. But one more here and we'll get out of here. For Mile High Maniac on Twitter, why does McKenzie keep getting these opportunities, which he screws up, but Henderson gets nothing, or Walker, or Langley. Rios playing over a third rounder. Will, you take this one. Well, it is strange that um, you know we keep pointing to McKenzie while D'Angelo Henderson gets one target, and basically that's his whole season. Um, guys like Walker and Langley really haven't performed, and you know to be honest, Rios has played much better than Langley, and I think he showed it yesterday. He had a really nice pass yeah. deflection. But the reason yeah. specifically for Isaiah McKenzie getting that opportunity yesterday was because – Cody Latimer and Emmanuel Sanders were out. And I think if Sanders and Latimer were playing, Isaiah McKenzie ideally doesn't see the field um, yesterday. And that's really the only reason is you don't want to just sign a guy just to, you know, you know, possibly they could have brought up a guy like River Craycraft um, off the practice squad. But at this point, you know, you might as well give your fifth round pick a shot on offense because you got to remember they're giving him a shot on offense, not another shot to return punts. And you, you assume that, um, like a like a batter in baseball who you know the confidence uh, you know you make an error in the field and hopefully that doesn't lead to a strikeout when you have to bat you hope that you know McKenzie muffing a punt doesn't mean a mental error at wide receiver mm-hmm. so unfortunately that was the case so you know the big reason for it was Latimer and Sanders but you know that's that's really the only reason Rios did have a phenomenal PBU on that deep shot down the right sideline that he just closed so quickly to break up that. That was a nice one. I mean, he saved a touchdown there. So hats off to to him, the rookie, undrafted rookie out of UCLA. But, you know, with regard to Isaiah McKenzie, it's been a rough rookie season for him. You know, hopefully he learns from some of the, the trial by fire he's experienced this year. But, you know, the bright side is you got Carlos Henderson, who's going to be healthy next year, whom the Broncos That's actually right. spent their original third-round pick on, who injured his thumb in the preseason and uh, had to go on IR. So he was a guy who guys like Nick Kendall, Carl Dummler, Eric Trickle, I mean, they were extremely high on Carlos Henderson being a, t- a Steve Smith caliber of wideout in the NFL. So it'll be interesting to see if he can help elevate that wide receiver position in 2018. But you know what? That's all the time we have for today. You can find Will in the Twitterverse at WillKey6 and myself at Chad and Jensen. Tweet us your questions. We're always going to try to address your concerns on the show as often as we can. Look for Nick and Carl's final Scout's Eye preview of the year uh, by uh, hopefully tomorrow morning, Wednesday morning, I should say, if not Thursday. But also... Look for this. With bowl season upon us, Nick and Carl are also brewing up some episodes that are going to spotlight which NFL draft prospects to pay attention to during bowl season. So make sure you're subscribing, y'all. For Will, I'm Chad. We'll talk to you soon. Mile high huddle. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 